Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode 7 of the winter semester edition of my show. So today, I know what happened to the Flames the last two games. Well, okay, technically last game and then the one before the one on Saturday. So the la two of their last three games have been really bad, and I know that. I'm not going to talk about them in my lead, though, today, but I will talk about the Flames a little bit towards the end of my show. So if you want to skip towards the end, that's where my Flame stuff will be. But I will also talk about some AFC offseason preview stuff in the NFL, but my lead today is actually going to be the Champions League, now that we have concluded leg one of the round of 16 in all of these ties. So I'll start with the four games that I wasn't able to talk about last week because they were happening while I was doing my show. So, first game, Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. So this game, similar to the Leipzig and Liverpool game, had to be played in a different country because of travel restrictions. So Atletico ended up losing their home game. It was supposed to be their home, home match. But Chelsea ended up winning this game 1-0 on... I'm not going to call it controversial, but I'm going to call it a goal you had to look at at least six times to understand why it was counted. Because basically what happened was Chelsea drove the ball into the attacking box and it ended up getting deflected only for the ball to get popped in the air. And then Olivier Giroud scored a beautiful bicycle kick goal. But when you look at the replay... It's really hard to not say Giroud was offside. Until you look at the replay from like six different angles, six different times in slow motion and you pause a few times. And you realize, oh, the Atletico player actually kicked the ball. And it wasn't the Chelsea player, even though it doesn't look like that on some of the angles. But you eventually realize that's the reason it counted. And so it took forever to get that decision. But it was a great goal by Giroud and not taking anything away from his beautiful bicycle kick because it was really good. Put, in right, put right into the corner and that was the only goal of the entire game. Atletico had a really good chance at the beginning. Suarez played the ball in across and Lamar was just a step slow from getting there to tap it in. But credit to Chelsea for getting the one nothing win and the quote-unquote away goal. It's not an away goal, but for the purposes of the Champions League it is. So Chelsea go back home to Stamford Bridge. They have a one nothing lead. The only problem is that because they only scored one goal, Atletico basically just need to win the game. And considering how they've been considering how good they have been in La Liga this season, I don't put it past Atletico to possibly come back and win this tie. So still very much I think this matchup is still very much in the balance, in my opinion. But good first leg, nonetheless. The second game, not quite as close. Bayern Munich and Lazio. So this was a 4-1 final for Bayern, although Bayern Munich went up 4 to nothing before Lazio kind of got a late goal that didn't mean a whole lot. Lazio was, t was the home team for this one. They did get to play in their own arena, but, I mean, didn't really matter. <laughs> Bayern Munich... They took advantage. There was two really bad defensive errors from Lazio that led to Bayern goals in this game. And then the second goal, Alfonso Davies 
beautiful work in the build-up, helped set up the goal, and the fourth goal was an own goal, which, you know, I remember one of my coaches always said to me that, you know, own goals only happen because defenders are in the right position, and that's pretty much what happened in this case. It was, the ball was driven across, it was intended for Davies, and yeah, basically went in off the defender and into the net. So, they happen. It sucks for Lazio, but when they got drawn with Bayern Munich, it felt it felt pretty lopsided because Bayern Munich, they're the defending European champions, and they certainly looked all they certainly looked the part. Let's just say in leg number one, Bayern will be the home team in the second leg. Feels like it'll be a pretty easy victory, I think, for them. On Wednesday's matchups, we had Real Madrid and Atalanta in the first game. This one, definitely some controversy and some legitimate controversy. So, Fruller of Atalanta was given a red card pretty early in this game. And basically, Real Madrid put it together a brilliant piece of build-up where there was some beautiful passing amongst their defenders and midfielders. They got into a ton of space and... Fruller makes a challenge just outside of the box. The referee reached for a red card and gave him a red. I didn't love the red card. And the red card was given because the referee felt that a goal-scoring opportunity was being denied. I didn't see it like that. To me, the way I saw it, was you had the incident happen outside of the box, but I don't think Real Madrid was in a, you know, guaranteed goal-scoring position. I felt like, you know, a yellow card for sure. But that's one of those, like, you know, it's a really, really harsh red card, but it's not, like, the craziest decision ever, but it's definitely, I think, the incorrect one. But it's also kind of, like, in a way, a lenient yellow where it is a pretty harsh challenge, and it does prevent an opportunity to score, but does it deny an obvious goal-scoring opportunity? Probably not. So, that sucks for Atalanta. It really does. But VAR could have overturned the red card. They decided not to. I'm not completely opposed to that decision, only because the referee clearly felt they made the right call. And, you know, sometimes referees make poor judgment calls. And that's, I think, kind of what happened in this case. But it sucks for Atalanta. They basically had to play defense the whole game and try and hang on down to 10 men. Real Madrid, though, did score a very nice goal later in the game from Ferlin Mendy. But it has to feel like a little bit of a missed opportunity from Real because they had a chance to potentially really end this tie very early. But they only got one goal, and they only won one nothing. So, because of that, Atalanta still has a chance to go to Madrid and potentially win and set themselves up in the quarterfinals. So, Real Madrid definitely in control and in the driver's seat, but long way to go for them, that's for sure. And then the final game was Manchester City and Borussia Mönchengladbach. And so this game... I feel like the scorelines a little bit 
deceiving in the sense that Manchester City won two to nothing, but I think the game was actually a lot more lopsided than that. Bernardo Silva scored the opening goal on a beautiful cross sent in by Juan Cancelo. And then in the second half, it was another Cancelo cross. Bernardo headed it across to Gabriel Jesus, who tapped it in. And that gave City the 2-0 lead. And that's how the score would finish. You know, Manchester City, for them, this has kind of been just the pretty cruise control normal of what they've been the last few months. Because... Man City hasn't lost since November in all competitions. And this team just keeps rolling. They really do. They keep on rolling. And I don't know. I'm, I am I know the draw hasn't happened for the quarterfinal, semifinal, final yet. But I'm really, really excited because to me, and granted, you know, a lot of this will depend on where the teams get drawn and stuff like that. But it almost has a feeling like Manchester City and Bayern Munich are going to be on a collision course here at some point. It, it isn't a guarantee. I, I want to stress that, right? Like, a team like PSG could absolutely come in here. They've been really good this season in the Champions League. Liverpool, if they get their stuff together, which, you know, the amount of injuries they've had is really tough. But Liverpool is a team I would still be afraid of if I was any of the other Champions League contenders. But it does feel like Manchester City and Bayern Munich are the two best teams in the world at this moment. And it's hard to see them not playing each other at some point this year in the Champions League. But we'll have to wait and see. That is the first legs. So really quickly, going into the second leg, PSG should feel really good about their 4-1 lead. Liverpool should feel really good about their 2-0 lead over Leipzig. Porto should feel satisfied but not confident with a 2-1 lead over Juventus. Dortmund should feel pretty good about a 3-2 lead over Sevilla. Chelsea should feel kind of neutral, I think, with their 1-0 win over Atleti. Bayern Munich, cruise control. Manchester City, cruise control. And Real Madrid, you know, satisfied but not confident with their 1-0 lead over Atalanta going into the second legs. The second legs take place in March, take place, sorry, March 9th, March 10th, March 16th, and March 17th. So that's we'll, that's when the second legs will take place, and I will do recaps for those when they happen. But that's it for the Champions League stuff. On to NFL stuff. So last week I did my NFC offseason preview, and so this week I'm doing an AFC offseason preview. This week... Every AFC team, I'm going to list one thing that they should do to try and make their team better for next season, or just in general, a good move that their franchise should make. So, without further ado, I'll start in the AFC East with the Miami Dolphins. So, for Miami, I think the answer is pretty simple. They need a playmaker. And when I say that, I mean wide receiver or running back. Although I didn't mind their running back group last season. But they definitely need some more explosiveness, some more pass-catching players, for sure. Devontae Parker is a nice player, but they definitely need more than that. And this is, by the way, on the assumption that two is going to be the quarterback for them. If it's Deshaun Watson, I might feel a little differently about this team. But Houston seems insistent on not taking calls on Watson. So 
I'm going to assume two is the QB for Miami. And so in that sense, go get some wide receivers. All right, the next team, the New York Jets. I'm actually not going to give them one, only because the Jets roster, in my opinion, is so terrible that almost any move they make should be a positive for them. So for the Jets, I think the biggest thing will obviously be the quarterback position for them and deciding what they want to do there. But as far as the rest of that roster, should they go get a running back? Yes. Should they go get receivers? Yes. Should they get a tight end? Yes. Should they get offensive linemen? Yes. Should they get defensive linemen? You betcha. Should they get linebackers? Yep. Should they get secondary players? Also, yes. So I don't think the Jets can go wrong, to be honest. For the Buffalo Bills, I would say pass rusher. And they actually played pretty well in the playoff game against Baltimore, although the Ravens were playing with a little bit of a beat-up offensive line. But for the Bills, I think a lot of their pass rushers who were supposed to perform for them this past season definitely didn't perform up to their standards. And so I would say that that should be something they target because this year, with the way the salary cap has going down, and the amount of teams that need to cut players to save money to get under the cap, there's going to be a lot of veteran free agents who are probably going to be willing to take pretty low number, like you know, low contracts for like one year, basically. Maybe not quite minimum contracts, but they'll be willing to take one-year deals for cheap. And if I'm the Buffalo Bills, I'm going after a veteran who might get cut from another team and adding that to what you already have which isn't too bad on defense but that would be the thing i would target if i'm the bills and then the new england patriots pretty easy wide receiver their wide receiver group was probably the worst in football last year so make it better pretty simple in the afc north i'll start with the pittsburgh steelers for them i'm gonna say get a new quarterback because to me, Ben Roethlisberger is not a quarterback you can rely on anymore. I think at this point, his arm strength isn't what it was in his prime, which means he, because Roethlisberger, I don't think has ever been that great of a decision maker. I just feel like he, he's a good playmaker. He makes plays a lot, but sometimes his decision making is really questionable. And the problem for Pittsburgh right now is that his arm strength usually isn't good enough to get him out. Uh, to bail him out of the, those mistakes, basically. And so, if I'm the Steelers, Dwayne Haskins is not a bad option as a reclamation project, but I would go after another quarterback, potentially, because the Steelers have a really good defense, and I think they have fantastic skill position players, but they probably need another quarterback. For the Baltimore Ravens, wide receivers... If there was a team who might have had a worse wide receiver group than the Patriots last year, it was probably the Baltimore Ravens. Because outside of Marquise Brown, they really don't have a lot at that position. The problem for the Ravens in trying to attract a receiver, though, is that they don't really throw the ball very much. And so trying to convince a receiver to join your team when you don't throw the ball is a little tricky to do. And so it's not impossible, but if I'm Baltimore... I'm looking at that free agent market, find those veteran receivers who can take one-year cheap contracts. And that's what I would do to try and address the receiver position. 
The next team is the Cleveland Browns. So for this team, it's actually not a signing. It's a trade they should make. And it's trading Odell Beckham Jr. And the main reason is money. That's the main reason I'm suggesting this. Because Beckham suffered that horrible injury this past year. And he ended up missing most of the season. And so I'm not asking Cleveland to trade him because I think he's a bad player. I don't think that. I just think that Cleveland has a decent receiving group. And the money they would save by trading Beckham could be used to bolster that defense that I think needs a little more help to compete with the elite of the elite of the AFC. And that's what I would do if I'm the Cleveland Browns. And then the Cincinnati Bengals. Very easy, very simple. Offensive line, offensive line, and more offensive line. Joe Burrow, their number one overall pick, got injured because he got hit more than any QB in the league at the time. And he suffered a torn ACL. So, in order to not get your quarterback killed, get him protection. Please. Please get him protection. Okay, AFC South. So, for the Houston Texans, my suggestion to them is hope that Deshaun Watson gets amnesia and forgets how much he hates playing for the franchise. Outside of that, I can't help them. Houston is a complete mess. For the Indianapolis Colts, they have a few things they have to do, but I think getting a wide receiver to complement Pittman would be the priority here. The Colts have a lot of cap space, so they can go after some really good, talented receivers. And even if they bring back T.Y. Hilton, Hilton isn't the player he was five years ago. And so if you have Hilton maybe as your third receiver with Pittman as your number one, and you bring in a guy to be the number two, I think that's pretty good to surround Carson Wentz with some appropriate playmakers. For the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm going to preach offensive line help because I think Jacksonville has some decent receivers. I think they have a really good running back in Robinson. I just think offensive line-wise, to help protect Trevor Lawrence, probably needs a little bit of bolstering. I don't think they need crazy overhaul of the O-line, but definitely improvement in that area. And for the Tennessee Titans, very easy. It's uh, pass rushers and more pass rushers, and when you think you have enough, get more of them. Because the Titans had the worst pass rush in the NFL last year. And if you can't get after the quarterback with your defensive line, you have no chance in this league. So for Tennessee, very easy. And then finally, the AFC West. For the Kansas City Chiefs, I would go offensive line. And I know the temptation there is to go defense. But Eric Fisher's torn Achilles. A torn Achilles is such a devastating injury. And he's not going to be back for a long time. And then Mitchell Schwartz had this back injury that basically kept him out the whole season. Like, we're not sure what he's going to look like going into next year. They'll probably get uh, Lauren Tuberne Tardif back, which is good. But I think they probably need to get a tackle of some kind, whether it's a draft pick in the first or second round or going and getting a cheap, a cheaper, I should say, alternative in free agency. For the LA Chargers, I'm going to say help in the secondary. The Chargers, on a few occasions this season, got torched by other teams' wide receiver groups. And so I think the Chargers could use some help in that department. If they get Derwin James healthy, that would help a lot. But maybe get a cornerback 
in free agency was probably the way to go for the Chargers. For the Raiders, I would say just defensive help, period. The Raiders' defense crumbled way too much for that team this season, including very notably in that game against Miami on the Saturday game. And yeah, they just need any kind of defensive help to help that really good offense. And finally, the Denver Broncos. I would say go get an upgrade at quarterback. I'm not big on Drew Locke as their QB going forward. I would try to go get maybe a Jameis Winston or try to trade for, you know, somebody else. I know it might be kind of hard to get like Mariota out of the Raiders, but there are quarterbacks that will be available. I would try to go get somebody. So that's my NFL segment. And now the flame stuff. So the reason I didn't have my Calgary Flames segment as my lead this as my lead today was because I don't really have a ton more to say than what I had to say last week. Last week I outlined this big laundry list of problems the Flames had. And the problems aren't different this week than when they were last week. They're still the same issues. It's just the Flames have gotten horribly worse results than I thought they would. Because they lost 6-1 to Ottawa then beat Ottawa 6-3, and then lost to Ottawa 5-1. And at this point, I am... I think I'm still in the denial stage of my grieving of this team a little bit, where I'm in denial just trying to ignore how bad they are. But this Calgary Flames team is really bad right now. And weirdly enough, after the 5-1 loss to Ottawa, one player who I thought actually said something really really profound because it's it's rare to hear this out of players because they'll typically give you the the general media answer but i i will credit milan lucic in this case because he said exactly the right thing after the 5-1 loss this is what he said quote it's unacceptable you can't have everyone show up on saturday and then expect and then expect it to be easy tonight I think that's our problem right now. Sometimes we want it to be too easy. You hear a lot of outside noise talking about coaching and all this style of play and all this other, and he uses a swear word right there, but that has nothing to do with the coaches. That has everything to do with the guys that are playing, end quote. He's right. Milan Lucic is 100% right. That last line right there. But that has nothing to do with the coaches. That has everything to do with the guys that are playing. That line right there is so true about this team. Jeff Ward is not the first coach with this group. He's not the second coach with this group. He's not even the third coach with this group. He's the fourth coach. At some point, it's not the coach. It's the players. If the players can't figure it out, then they better take a good look around that dressing room because a lot of them aren't going to be there next year. And the guy who should be making those trades shouldn't be the guy who's currently there in the GM position. It's as simple as that. This team has underperformed. And, you know, this is not a, this is not a young team. This is not a team that is, you know, still going through growing pains. That's not the case. The Flames have a pretty veteran team. Johnny Gaudreau is in his prime. Sean Monahan is supposed to be in his prime. 
Matthew Kachuk is pretty close to getting there right now. And Mark Giordano is a little bit past his prime, but still, like, you know, he's not... He's not a dinosaur or anything like that. And you have a lot of these... You have a lot of these players that are supposed to be in their prime. This team is not a young team that needs to go through growing pains. This is a team that has grown, gotten expectations, looked pretty good at a, on a few moments, and then has failed. And they failed, and they failed, and they failed. And that falls on the players, because the players obviously aren't, are the ones that are not getting it done on the ice. But it falls on the general manager because the general manager's job is to construct a roster. That, that's how to describe their job. And there's a lot that goes into that job, of course. And I'm not trying to say in any way that a general manager's job is easy because it is not an easy job. And I don't even think Brad Living's a bad general manager. But the fact is, this is his team. He took over in 2014. This is his roster. These are his players. If he wanted to trade them, he could have traded them years ago. This is his team that he has built. And this is like year six of his tenure. And they're still not a cup contender. They're still not fulfilling expectations. They are still continuing to fail in the playoffs. And that should fall on him. Rightly or wrongly, True Living built this team. And he should be the one to lose his job if this team can't do it again. Because his job is roster construction. And this roster is not playing the way people thought they would. So, that's my thought on that. And, you know, the last I guess the last thing I'll say, the season isn't over yet. But we're getting pretty close. Calgary, if they don't turn things around here in the next week or two... They can kiss the playoffs goodbye and watch Edmonton, Winnipeg, Montreal, and Toronto compete in the final four of the Canadian division. That's the last thing I'll say. Anyway, thank you, for everybody, for listening in today. I want to thank you so much. It means a lot to me every time someone listens in to my show. Next week, I really hope I don't have to do another flame segment. Crossing my fingers on that one. But... Next week, I'll have lots more amazing sports topics. And to everybody out there, please be happy, be healthy, and stay safe.